It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Radio.com Sports presenting Big Time Baseball. It's brought to you as always by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. This is Josh Lewin. John Heyman joins as always. Every week we're bringing you insight into the top storylines across Major League Baseball. We've gotten past the trade deadline, of course. Now we're getting towards the end of the season, and there's all kinds of intrigue right in the middle of that sandwich. We're going to be talking to general managers today. Uh, Thad Levine of the Minnesota Twins, Billy Epler of the Los Angeles Angels, of Anaheim. Wasn't too long ago the Twins and Angels played a really entertaining ALCS against each other. One team has a chance to be in the ALCS again, one does not for this year. The Boston Red Sox look like they will not be in the playoffs and well Humpty Dumpty has fallen off the wall. We're going to talk about that one as part of our show today. It's big time baseball and you can check it out anytime, anywhere listening to over 300 stations, over 1100 podcasts. That's what Radio.com is all about. You can follow it on Twitter at RDC Sports. And make sure you subscribe to Big Time Baseball, of course, on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. So I wasn't really planning on diving into this one right away. As we record this, it's literally about, uh, what, 12 hours, John Heyman, since the, the guillotine dropped on the neck of a guy who was in a duck boat at a World Series parade 10 months ago. Uh, Dave Dombrowski is out in Boston, so when you got that news very late Sunday night into Monday, what were your initial thoughts? Well, it was a little surprising uh, in terms of the timing uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, he won the World Series and had an all-time great season uh, less than a year ago. Obviously, it was just last season that they did. So just several months ago, uh, they were celebrating a World Series championship, and uh, the ownership was discussing giving him a an extension and obviously that didn't come to fruition but also the timing in season uh very rare to see that happen the second time this has happened with dave dombrowski he was let go in season with the tigers before that so i think it's just coincidence but it's happened uh twice to dave uh unfortunately for him and he he is probably a hall of fame uh general manager as it said on the press release uh that the red sox issued and so uh you know, he's had a great career, but unfortunately has been a part of two in-season firings. Uh, curious to me also about this one is the Red Sox, while they appear done to me and to many other people, uh, they are not technically out of it. So to fire him now was a little bit odd. So I think the timing is the main thing. I think there were some issues with some relationships. Dave is a great guy. I've covered him forever. But I, I think that the forging of relationships was part of the reasoning here. Maybe not, certainly not the whole reason, but uh, we'll get into that later, as you said. Yeah, I mean, we're going to actually table some of this to your insider segment. And I've got some insight, too, just because I've been around the Red Sox all year. And, and you mentioned the, the surprising timing in kind of a macro sense. In more of a micro sense, you talk about a news dump. You know, I mean, they tell you if you <laughs> want to get news out there only because you have to and you don't really want a lot of play, you, you put it out in a press release at 4.59 p.m. on a Friday, right? This was like that times 10 because they did it. On a Sunday night, turning into Monday, NFL Week 1, right after the, the Patriots had beaten the Steelers by 30. You know, I mean, so unless Dave Dombrowski 
had, I don't know, like, you know, gotten into an accident with a bunch of nuns in a, uh, in a minivan. I mean, that's the only way to, uh, to supersede page one. You know, it's Patriots, Patriots, Patriots. So it, it looks like uh, it's kind of like, all right, timing-wise, we just want to kind of quickly, quickly, quickly move on from this. But when they move on, because there's, there's no quick fix here to who's next, and we'll talk about all the candidates in your later segment, John. But it, that's a really interesting one to me because there are plenty of internal candidates, including Eddie Romero, who essentially gets elevated right now. But there are guys that are in the family. I mean, Jared Banner has been around. He's now with the Mets. Josh Burns has been around now with the Dodgers. Mike Hazen, of course. I mean, so many tentacles coming out here that they could draw people back in. So I'm just fascinated as to what the resolution of this story is. Yeah, I have one most obvious, at least to me, candidate in mind, and I have not spoken to ownership uh, about this, but uh, there's one guy I think that stands out as an, an apparent candidate. And there's another big name, I think, who's an intriguing one, and I'll certainly talk about that later. But you're right, there's probably a dozen guys that could be mentioned, and uh, they're going to have an intriguing setup right now with uh, four-headed uh, uh, monster, shall we say, in charge, including Romero, O'Halloran, and others. So uh, we will see. It's going to be interesting because that is a very big and prestigious job in baseball. No question about that. And that, by the way, is a good tease. Not an Ortiz. That's the other Boston component, <laughs> but it's a good tease. Well, right? maybe I'm just thinking of things and I haven't yeah, quite well, formulated Yeah, well, now you got a half, you got a half an hour to... Half an yeah. hour to figure out, right, exactly what right. you're going to come up with now. No, I actually uh, have some thoughts in mind. All right. No, I, I figured you did. Hey, uh, real quick, though, on, and I, again, this might bleed into the, the final segment that we do, but, you know, one of the interesting things for a new GM coming in, it, it just doesn't look like there's any way to keep both J.D. Martinez and Mookie Betts, right? I mean, there, there's so much money tied up in the starting rotation. They kind of put their chips in to the middle of the table on Sale and Evaldi. And, yeah, I'm sure they were going to really, really, really try to keep one of those two great outfielders. But, I mean, is it possible Jackie Bradley Jr. is a free agent, too, coming up? I mean, could there be almost a complete outfield overhaul in Boston? I mean, nobody would see that coming. It's possible. I, I, I do think, well, it doesn't seem likely they keep them all. Uh, I, I think it's uh, likely that they do keep one or two of them. And, uh, obviously, Benintendi will still be there. So, uh you know, he, he will still be around. Um, I, I would say uh, Bradley is probably unlikely. Betts has made it clear he's going to be a free agent. Uh, does that mean he's definitely leaving? No, not necessarily. You can still sign with your old team as a free agent. J.D. Martinez is another interesting thing we'll talk about on the inside segment. And uh, right now that looks iffy as well. So this past weekend, and it's a wraparound series continuing into this week, it was Yankees, Red Sox, and for the Sox to have any chance to really keep competing, keep dog paddling here in the playoff chase. They were going to have to sweep the Yankees. They did anything but. And they, they used 23 pitchers in three games. I mean, it looks like clowns coming out of a Volkswagen in, in that bullpen right now. They, they've got uh, 22 pitchers total, John, on their 40-man roster. 21 of them are now with the Boston Red Sox currently. I mean, a couple of them on the injured list. But if, if, you're, if you're double-A guy Dennis Reyes, you got to be looking around like, what is it, my deodorant? I mean, everybody else is here. I'm the only guy out of 22 yeah. that's not well. in Boston. So, but I, you know, I, that's crazy enough. Uh, the, the other thing I thought was really interesting about that series, I love the fact that you had these 22-year-olds going head-to-head -head in the infield. Glaber Torres and Rafi Devers, are, you, know, you have to check yourself to remind yourself that they are 22. And in a weekend derby, anyway, Devers had a rough weekend. He had three errors Sunday. It could have been five. Mitch Moreland saved him a couple times. And Torres just had a tour de force kind of weekend. I know we saw Glaber Torres coming a little bit last year. Nobody saw Gio Urshela coming this year. And we got to remind everybody, uh, you know, he was a minor league free agent. Every single team could have just said, here, come on, Gio, you're with us. Nobody did that. It's amazing to me that the Yankees, with all the injuries and everything else, all these young players, too, that they are where they are. Does Aaron Boone get manager of the year? I would certainly hope so. Yeah, well, uh, you touched on a number of things there. First, on the 22 pitchers or 21 pitchers, uh, thankfully, there are going to be rules against that kind of thing coming up. Uh, for now, it's within the rules. I think it's a little silly. Uh, quantity is never going to be quality, so that, that was never going to work. I, I will say on Dombrowski's, behalf, uh, Devers uh, called up uh, and and performed last year and helped uh, the Red Sox in their title run, and good for him on that. 
Uh, he did not trade all their prospects. He kept Devers, and uh, he was um, helpful for the team to win a World Series. And it's great that they have him going forward. And, uh, you know, not all their players are making $20, 30000000 million a year. It's good to have somebody like Devers hanging around. So let's not forget Dave Dombrowski did some good things. And I think we probably can't forget that since they won the World Series last year. As far as the young guys, it's terrific to see Devers. Uh, Glaber Torres has been fantastic. And I think Glaber Torres is part of the uh, emergence of uh, Ursula. Ursula was a giveaway from Toronto uh, last August for the Yankees, and I don't think anybody expected this. They knew he was a good defender. Nobody knew he could hit like this, and uh, Gleyber Torres gave him some pointers. He's an assistant hitting coach, if you will, and uh, helped him out. So Gleyber Torres, in, in many ways, has been very valuable, and the Yankees have done a, a terrific job uh, with not only the trades, but these pickups, not just Ursula out of nowhere, uh, Talkman, uh, who got an injury in that Red Sox game, but has been invaluable for them as well, and many others. Let me keep it in the AL East just for a second here. I don't want to wear everybody out with all AL East here, but Tampa Bay has survived whatever you, you figured they would, would have to survive. All the injuries, they're starting to get a little healthier. Tyler Glass now is back. He, he just threw 33 fastballs, averaging about 98 miles an hour, uh, flipped in some curveballs. So, you know, he hasn't pitched much this year. He's, he's going to be a minty, fresh 1.86 ERA guy down the stretch here. How do you like Tampa Bay? Well, uh, you've got to like Tampa Bay right now. I, I have not been on their bandwagon. They have not a team that I picked to go to the playoffs. I've been suggesting it's going to be Oakland uh, to get in there and uh, the loser of the Minnesota Cleveland, which I thought was going to be Cleveland. Uh, but Tampa, you got to give them credit. They have certainly uh, outkicked their coverage, if you will. They performed admirably. They do a terrific job there. Tyler Glass, now part of that great trade for Chris Archer. Obviously, Archer has not worked out in Pittsburgh. As you mentioned, Glass now averaged 97.6 miles per hour, struck someone out on a 100-mile-an-hour pitch. I think I think I saw somewhere that he and Garrett Cole are the only two starters uh, to strike anybody out on a 100-mile-an-hour pitch. I, I know a lot of guys are throwing 95, but starters, not as many, and also uh, to strike somebody out on a 100-mile-an-hour pitch. Uh, got to give him credit. And uh, Tampa, they're right in the thick of it. I'm not going to write them off, but uh, I can't take any credit because I have not mm-hmm. been on their bandwagon. Let me uh, let me get you from AL East to NL East here, John. The, the Phillies are not going away. I mean, they've got a tough schedule the rest of the way, tougher than the Mets, for example, but they're both in chase mode as well. Uh, the Mets make some questionable decisions here and there. Mickey Calloway, uh, walking Andrew Knapp to get to Bryce Harper, I guess the most recent example of that. But it, it seems like we're, we're all fascinated by every time the Phillies and Mets get together. Uh, Callaway was almost hired by the Phillies, by the way, but uh, the Mets jumped in, got him first. We'll, we'll table the Nationals, table the Braves, but, but where are you with the Mets and Phillies right now? Yeah, I mean, uh, we've gone back and forth with Callaway for a long time. It, it looked like he was going to uh, be fired uh, after the year, and then... They had this great run, and the team has kept stayed together and give him credit for that. But uh, uh, there definitely have been some questionable moves, and they've been amplified in the New York media, and certainly his bosses see that. At this point, you know, this is a day-to-day thing. At this point, I would say it's likely that Callaway would not uh, be the manager next year. I'm not saying it's going to happen for sure or that I have any inside information, but I would say more likely than not anyway that, that they would move on and hire another manager, assuming they do not get in. And, uh, you know, they, their schedule isn't as bad as the Phillies' schedule, but uh, being uh, several games out at this point, I think it's a long shot that the Mets could get in, uh, particularly with the Cubs in that position and Arizona uh, running behind the Cubs and both having very, very, very easy schedules. You know, you never want to say too easy at the major league level. These All these teams are good, but uh, Arizona and the Cubs have very favorable schedules. So it will be surprising if one of those teams, one or the other, doesn't make the playoffs at this point. And meantime, I'm looking at the Braves, and this kind of came out of nowhere. The Dodgers have wobbled just enough. It's not like they're in the tank or anything, but the Braves are playing better. The Dodgers are just kind of flatlining right now. So the Braves actually are within a few games of that number one seed in the National League. They're, they're obviously going to win the division. But the Nationals, they're the ones I'm kind of peeking at because Max Scherzer is dominant yet again. This was a team that was counted out, as you well know, back around the middle of June. 
Now they're a really scary-looking team. What's your take on the Nats? Yeah, they've never won a, a playoff series. Do we do we count a wild card game as a playoff series? They'll certainly Nats. be a heavy favorite uh, to win that game with Scherzer at home if that's the way it turns out. And right now, that's the likelihood. It's not set in stone. The Nats, as, as you mentioned, stumbled a little bit against the Braves and uh, haven't locked up the home field for the wild card to, at this point. Uh, but if that's the way it happens, uh, they're going to be a heavy favorite. Man, they're going to be some disappointed people in Washington if Matt, if Scherzer and the, the Nats cannot win that game. And you never know what can happen in one game. Uh, obviously, uh, he's fantastic. He's probably the Cy Young leader right now. I looked at it recently. I have that vote. And uh, it could go to one of many guys. But uh, right now, he's probably got a hair in front of DeGrom. So he's probably the leader. They'd be in a good spot if they play Arizona or the Cubs, which is likely. Um, so, uh, you know, I think the Nats, uh, should be a favorite to win that game. And as I said, if they don't win it, uh, it's going to be hell to pay in Washington. Uh, one more thing, as we touch back, we asked about the Callaway and the moves. There is no explanation that I can think of to walk intentionally Andrew Knapp, the backup catcher of the Phillies, uh, with an OPS under 600 to get to Bryce Harper. I don't care what your intelligence tells you about, uh, Bryce Harper's injury, uh, that does not make any sense. Uh, now, one move does not uh, doom anybody, but uh, there have been probably too many of these moves publicized uh, in Mickey's regard. Yeah, keep your fingernails short if you're a Mets fan, because you're going to be scratching your head a lot is what it comes <laughs> down. You don't want to hurt your scalp. So uh, NL Central, uh, you know, the Cubs without Javi Baez now, I, I still like them. I know you do too. The Cubs and Brewers have a series coming up. The Cubs and Cardinals will play head-to-head seven of the last ten games of the season. And maybe if Baez was healthy, I might try to sell you on, hey, you know, maybe the Cardinals end up as a wild card and not winning that division. But Flaherty's been insane. I mean, he's got a 0.59 ERA since the start of August. In fact, his ERA has gone down each of the last 12 starts that he's made. You know, not not one uh, bogey, not one par. You know, I mean, just everything's a birdie for him every single game. So... What do you make of the NL Central and its current construct? Yeah, Flaherty's been the, the best pitcher in the league over the last month. Uh, they're riding him. Uh, they improved defense. Their defense was as bad as anybody's last year, and it's been almost as good as anybody's this year. Um, and, you know, they're just playing very well. They have the best record since the All-Star break, and uh, it looks like they're going to win that division and uh, make it hard on the Cubs. Uh, they have so many seven games to go with the Cubs, uh, that's the one part of the Cubs schedule that's tough. And the way the Cubs are right now with Bryant with the knee, uh, Baez likely out with the thumb. Uh, they did call up Nico Horner, uh, and that uh, will be interesting and exciting for Cubs fans. Great young prospect out of Stanford. Uh, but uh, the Cubs are going to have to play better uh, to, to get in the playoffs. They have not played well at all. The one thing with Arizona beyond the schedule is the Diamondbacks have played great the last two weeks. Yeah, they really have. Hey, we're, we're going to jump over to do AL Central with Thad Levine of the Minnesota Twins in just a moment. But first, uh, I don't want to leave out the AL West. It's the, the one, uh, I, I guess, way we can get the Houston Astros discussed in this podcast because they are absolutely worth discussing. Garrett Cole, another 15-strikeout game, uh, gave up one hit. It, it was a, a 325-foot home run, and that's it. You know, just one of those uh, Houston specials right there. But he and Verlander both incredibly dominant. Uh, is it fair to say that Houston, even with the Yankees having their great years, Houston is simply, as you can put it, the odds-on favorite right now? Well, I think that's the way people are going to look at it. I, I look at it as over 162 games. These team, teams have been about equal. It's probably uh, a coin flip to me in terms of who wins that. Uh, in terms of the Cy Young, that's a really interesting one with Cole and Verlander. I saw Steve Phillips suggest that maybe some writers would – take up uh, the uh, writer Anthony Fennick's cause that uh, Verlander's ha- having a feud with and wouldn't vote for Verlander. That That's not going to be the case. I understand raising that issue, but Anthony Fennick himself has voted Verlander first and twice in 2016 and 2018, and uh, he in, is not going to hold it against Verlander. Ne- no, neither will any of the other writers, and Verlander's generally been very good with the media anyway, but that's not part of the issue. Uh, when you vote for Cy Young, it's simply going to come down to the best pitcher. Is there a possibility that the fact Verlander's finished close second twice would weigh on somebody? Uh, that 
possibly could be an intangible that weighs in Verlander's favor. Uh, but to me, Verlander and Cole, both uh, easily the best pitchers in the American League, both deserving of a Cy Young. That's going to be an interesting race. In terms of the, the Astros and the Yankees, I'm, I'm not going to pick a favorite. They're, they're equal to me. I, I, I know people will like the team with a better starting pitcher, pitching, but I, I don't think that's held out as, as a sound logic over the past several decades. Otherwise, we would have crowned the Atlanta Braves the champion uh, five times or more, not just right. once. Well, it sure looks like the AL West will have a trifecta. I mean, if indeed there's going to be a Cy Young there, they're going to have an MVP with Mike Trout, and uh, certainly Rookie of the Year looks pretty good for a Houston Astro, too, the way that Alvarez has come up and, and done his thing. So we'll get with, with Billy Epler on more AL West in a bit, the Angels GM. But we have Thad Levine, and we're going to talk about the AL Central because he's in charge of the Minnesota Twins, as you may know. That's coming up right here, Big Time Baseball. Hey, this is Cody Decker from Swings and Misses, the Radio.com Sports Original, here to talk to you about hymns. Now, baseball has done a hell of a job ruining my hairline over the years, and quite frankly, my wife can't stand it. Well, thank God I just started taking hymns. Go to 4hymns.com. 4hymns.com is your one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. Now, hair loss gets to be a decision rather than an absolute fate. Hymns connects you to real doctors and medical-grade solutions to treat hair loss. These are no snake oil pills or gas station counter supplements. No, this is real medication from doctors backed by science. Use promo code SWING and my listeners get a trial month of hymns for just $5 today, right now, while supplies last. See website for full details and safety information. This would cost hundreds of dollars if you went to a doctor or a pharmacy. Go to 4hymns.com slash swing. That's 4hymns spelled F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash swing. So we promised to do a deep dive into the AL Central and we might as well start right at the top because the Minnesota Twins are the top. And uh, Thad Levine and his group have done just an amazing job this year. I think a lot of people thought the Twins would be competitive, but not like this. I mean, certainly not hitting a gazillion home runs and, and pitching the way they've pitched. So, Thad, I, I mean, I guess, to, first of all, welcome, and thank you for doing this. But in your wildest dreams, when you sit down and construct, okay, here's what I really think is going to happen. Here's our, our A game. This is the, the best possible model we can put together. You didn't really see this many home runs, did you? Well, you know, I, I am by nature a wild dreamer, but I, I would say no. You know, I, a lot of people have asked us the question, did we specifically architect a 25-man roster which would yield this number of home runs? And I can't say that we did. I mean, I, I certainly think when we made our offseason acquisitions, each individual guy we viewed as like a real value addition. It wasn't towards an eye of amassing power exclusively, but that being said, I think we knew in the acquisitions of C.J. Crone, Nelson Cruz, and Jonathan Scope specifically that we were going to be adding real power to the lineup. Marwin Gonzalez has played all over the field, probably a little bit less of a, a power acquisition and more of a versatile, dynamic championship caliber player. But where we've gotten some power, we certainly could have anticipated what our catching core has done between Mitch Carver, Jason Castro, Williams Astadio. Yeah, I think we're still maybe leading the league in power production out of that position not something we contemplated. And then we had, we were hopeful, uh, but certainly we didn't know that our young core was going to take a step forward like they did. And we've seen real gains from guys like Max Kepler. Uh, Eddie Rosario has maintained what he's done over the years. Miguel Snow, by virtue of being a little bit healthier this year, has really contributed from a power production. But Jorge Polanco, Max Kepler have certainly taken meaningful steps forward. The collective has done an excellent job. Uh, without necessarily having any one individual who's leading the league in home runs. Hey, uh, congratulations, Thad. Uh, terrific season. I know it's not over, and I, but I also wanted to thank you. Uh, it's rare that I get a prediction right. I went to your spring training camp in uh, Fort Myers late, and boy, you were hitting a lot of home runs in spring training too, and I just be became convinced that uh, you guys could pull off the division. Uh, and there were a few people who felt that way as well, but uh, Josh and I discussed uh, – uh, the favorites in the AL, and I think uh, most people uh, in the know are expecting the Astros and the Yankees to be a favorite. Now, your team has played fantastically, uh, just about on the level with those two teams this year. What do you see going into this? Do you feel like uh, there's confidence you guys can pull off what would be seen as an upset? And if so, wh what do you like about your team going into the playoffs? 
So, John, and I appreciate everything you said, and mostly I appreciate your faith in, in the club and your foresight there. I, I, I would say this. I, I think the first things first, one thing that has kept our team sharp all season is the awareness that the Cleveland Indians are an excellent team and that I think we've really viewed them as the class of the AL Central until the season is over and we're sitting atop the division. And I think till that, that day comes – I think we're viewing it. They're they're the team we're trying to chase. So I think we still have a lot of work yet to be done. Uh, this community has not won the division in quite some time. Uh, the Minnesota Twins fans have not been treated to home playoff games in a while. We've 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 had a few flirtations with with the with the wild card process, and it hasn't gone necessarily well for this franchise. So I think that's the first step for us is is a demonstrative one, and it's to unseat the Cleveland Indians as the class of the American League Central. Secondarily, to your point about the playoff caliber teams. I certainly think that most national pundits do view the Houston Astros and the New York Yankees as, as a cut above in the American league. And quite frankly, maybe in the major leagues, those two teams are very mature uh, rosters with, with a lot of championship caliber players on them. If we are blessed to go into the playoffs, we acknowledge the fact that we are going to be on paper and underdog. I just think our players have played the whole season as if that doesn't matter. Uh, they've played very well against teams above 500. We've been competitive against both of those teams during the course of the season. And we obviously know the the, the postseasons are quite a different animal than the regular season. But our guys have been pretty battle tested. And, and I think there's a collective uh, view of it as why not us in our clubhouse. We've got a, a great blend of veterans, of guys like Marlon Gonzalez and Nelson Cruz, have, who've had prolonged playoff runs, who've played in World Series games. We've added guys like Sergio Romo and Sam Dyson who've done the same on the pitching side. And then we've got this young core of nucleus of young players who, quite frankly, don't know better. They don't know they shouldn't be playing toe-to-toe with those those types of, of teams. I think the, the one-game playoff that they had in 2017 in New York really battle-tested some of these guys and, and showed them what the intensity of a playoff game could look like. I, I think they're dying to, to, to try that out over a full series or ideally multiple series. Hey, Thad, I, I swear we didn't bring you on to talk about other teams, but since you brought up Cleveland, you know, one thing, and, and I really do uh, appreciate your, your healthy and, and very honest appraisal and admiration of, of what they've done. Uh, Lindor keeps raking here as we get down the stretch. I think the only hitter in the American League with more extra base hits right now is Rafi Devers. Santana's been great. But obviously with Ramirez hurt, Naquin hurt, uh, depth is always an issue, right? And, and it you hate to see it, it come to that, but do you start thinking about that, just about how mortal all these teams are? I mean, if you don't have depth, it, it, I mean, it's just a killer this time of year, right? Well, I, I think it starts it started last offseason, Josh, when we tried to do an honest view of how we stacked up against the other team in the American League Central. You clearly look to Cleveland as the class of the division, and you try to prognosticate the gap between their talent and our talent, and we felt we were a little bit behind. Now, we made some moves this offseason to aggressively try to close that gap, uh, and, and maybe they didn't necessarily make as demonstrative moves to hold us at bay. So we felt we walked into the season with the gap having closed a little bit. But we're monitoring that from, from the first game to the last. As we sustain some injuries, they sustain some injuries. They have a few guys step up and perform at a level that we didn't expect. We, too, do the same. And so it's, it's kind of a living organism as we're going through the season. We're constantly tracking the ebbs and flows of the, the people that we are most most directly competing with, in this case, the Cleveland Indians, and trying to reassess what are our true playoff odds. We, you know, we're very respectful of the national pundits view of that. We factor that into our, our calculations as well. But that's ultimately what inspires Derek and I to walk down the hall to go see ownership and say, it's time for us to push a chip in or two right now because we think we can close this gap, possibly even eradicate this gap, and put us in a position where we should be not just an underdog to win the division, but possibly even the favorite. And the moves that you made over the winter, uh, by and large, have all worked out nicely. Uh, Baldelli, I thought, was fantastic from the start, and he, he's done a terrific job. But the player moves also have been excellent. Uh, Marwin and Crone and all the others, Scope. Uh, but I want to ask you particularly about Nelson Cruz, a guy that you knew from Texas. Is that what spurred you to uh, go sign him at his advanced age and uh, give him a deal? And then I guess he has an option. But, I mean, at $12 million, uh, what he's done, uh, that's basically a fait accompli at this point, the way he's performed. 
you know, I think we we looked at this offseason and we had some very specific goals that were guiding our decisions. And they were in short order. We, we recognized that Cleveland had a little bit of an edge on us, but that we were going to do everything we could to try to close that gap in 2019 without doing too much harm to 2020 and beyond. And by that, we meant we weren't going to trade a lot of our future high end prospect capital this past offseason for short term gains. We also weren't going to try to sign players to ex- extremely lengthy, robust extensions. We wanted to keep our payroll flexibility for 2020 and beyond. And that's where you look at a guy like Nelson Cruz as, in our minds, this offseason, probably the position where we could impact the team most powerfully with one move. We, we signed him to a one-year deal with an option. As you said, it's turned out to be tremendous value so far. His performance on the field, I think we were pretty confident about, despite the fact that the, the calendar flipped over and he turned 39 years old. But the makeup, John, that you re- referenced, I think was a significant part of our decision. We felt as if we had a really young up, upside core of players, but unfortunately, by and large, had not really been uh, battle tested in, in the playoffs. We also had a unique opportunity uh, with the change in manager and also with the change in, in the veteran leadership in our clubhouse as Joe Maurer retired and Brian Dozier had been traded and Eduardo Escobar had been traded. We had a chance to really change the complexion of the leadership in our clubhouse. And I think we felt that Nelson Cruz was going to be a really nice fit with our young players. The two things in my history with him that I felt he was going to bring to this team and it's paid off very well is both an amazing commitment to his craft. You know, there's a reason this guy is still performing at this level at this age. He, he works tirelessly on his craft of hitting secondarily once he gets between the lines and you guys have seen this throughout his career he enjoys the heck out of the game and i think he's taught our guys to play with a little bit personality play with a little emotion let the fans know that you're enjoying playing the game treat it as if there may be a fan in every game that's watching their first game make make a memory for that kid but also let the other team know you're enjoying winning and and i think giving our young players that freedom to express themselves on the field has led to a really nice collective upswing for that whole group of young players. Well, it's such an easy team to root for. I'm sorry, grammatically correct. Uh, An easy team for which to root the Minnesota Twins. And Thad, continued success to you, buddy. You guys are really killing it. And uh, uh, John had it first. John said you guys were going to do this and you're doing it. So keep it up and we'll talk to you again. Go get one right. Guys, thanks very much for having me on. Look forward to speaking to you in the future. Awesome. What a great dude, and what a great year for the Minnesota Twins. Thad Levine taking the time to join us. Another really good dude in the uh, AL front offices. This is a very heavily uh, weighted AL front office show today. But Billy Epler is straight up talking angels in the AL West. Big time baseball from Radio.com Sports. So indeed, continuing our general manager theme on the podcast, we are really, really pleased to have Billy Epler here, too. One of the more fascinating teams in in all of baseball, the Angels, who have been, uh, I've described it as being on the verge of being on the cusp, uh, or on the cusp of being being on the verge, Billy. I mean, you guys seem like you're so close to a breakthrough, and I know Angels fans are ready for it. You're 80 and 82 back-to-back years, and hopefully this year you, you scooch above 500 and kind of point that compass north. But how would you uh, do a dive into this season? Obviously, there's been tragedy and tears, and, and, and that's all been very difficult for everybody to deal with. But top to bottom, where are you with 2019? Yeah, I mean, I mean clearly, uh, you know, I think everybody will look back on this season and, and, and kind of all agree it's been an emotionally trying season for, for a lot of people within the Angels community and then a lot of people just within baseball uh, in general. And, and um you know, notwithstanding, you know, those circumstances, um, you know, our record, um, you know, is, is disappointing um, on a number of levels. And I think uh, there's been a number of circumstances that have helped contribute to that. Um, some with uh, with some underperformance um, with uh, with some of the guys that that were brought in. Um, and, and others with some injuries, uh, that have really challenged our depth and, and kind of put some of our young, um, our young pitching at the forefront of, um, you know, of, of trying to compete, um, at the major league level. And they've done a, they've done a pretty good job of doing that. Um, but they're, but they're being asked a lot. Um, and so 
that's the circumstances that's that's taken place and and i think it, it's pretty clear that that this winter time um and heading into this off season that we'll need to continue to address pitching um you know hopefully shohei otani can make it through um the the third stage of his tommy john rehab rehab um we can get you know more innings out of uh, Andrew Andrew Heaney, who when he's on the mound is is has been you know a well above average pitcher. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then um, we can you know hopefully get a get a, a full season out of Griffin Canning. And so we've had this this emergence of some of these younger players, but um, but I do think that we'll have to complement that from from outside the organization this winter time um, and continue to build. I think offensively. We're pleased with, with with where we are offensively. Um, I think a full season with Justin Upton next season, um, and the, just the continued growth and development of some younger players like David Fletcher, who's become a, a pretty popular player in this in this area, um, and is a contributing player for a championship caliber club. And then also Luis Rangifo um, emerging, and you know you kind of look down into the into the minor leagues and you see Jordan Adele getting close and Brandon Marsh. Um, performing well above average at the double A level. And so you start to see some of the uh, the fruits of the labor of our uh, international scouting department and our domestic amateur scouting department. And um, and hopefully w- with those things converging, we'll uh, we'll put together a, a, a pretty good 2020. Billy, as you, as you said, it's been a trying uh, in many ways and also a tragic season uh, for the Angels. A very sad situation. Tyler Skaggs, by all accounts, just a terrific young man, uh, uh, cut his life cut short, and I think you guys handled it uh, extremely well. After the fact, uh, you and uh, Brad Ausmus did a t- terrific job and kept the team as uh, together as possible. Um, and I, I now want to address, uh, you know, what's going to happen going forward in terms of what you guys will uh, do uh, to augment. As you said, uh, you, you've got some uh, good prospects now. The prospect situation much better than it had been. Uh, a few years ago, uh, but I, I think you would agree that the, the team needs to augment, particularly in the pitching uh, category. Um, could you go over exactly last year? I know you tried for Corbin and Navaldi and some of the other guys. What what happened last year? You ended up doing one-year deals, which doesn't certainly cripple an organization. Uh, those deals didn't happen to work out, but what happened last year and how are you going to look at things going forward? I know a lot of people are probably clamoring for Garrett Cole. You probably can't address that specifically now as he's pitching for a competitor, but uh, how aggressive might you be this off season as opposed to last? Well, without, without getting into specific names, um, even, even dating back to last year, I mean, we, we took a look at, at every player in the free agent market and guys at the top of that free agent market last season. Um, and, you know, going into the winter time, you know, our process is, you know, to converge our scouting reports, um, meet with our pro scouting department, and then also, you know, kind of, kind of uh, blend in some of our some of our projections based on our analytic department. And so, as those as those things kind of build this, um, uh, you know, kind of build our valuations of players in the winter time, we'll we'll then engage with you know with those with those agents. And then if the if the the price of the the free agent starts to exceed our valuation by a certain degree, then we then we obviously have a decision to make. And um, that decision was basically, do you want to chase down um, some of those some of those free agents or do you want to pivot um, and allow your farm system to continue to develop and not, you know, to use a basketball analogy, right, not force the shot. And so as we were uh, as we were working through the winter time and it became it became you know apparent that we were not going to be able to secure some of those guys. Um, we ultimately opted to go um, in the direction of, of securing some one-year deals that would allow us um, to potentially put a contending team um, on the field. Um, that wasn't the case uh, this season because you know there there had been a downturn in performance of some of the some of the people that we that we brought in. But um, ultimately, what it allowed us to do is continue to be opportunistic as we moved forward. So it allowed us to be able to put that money, quote unquote, um, back in our pocket and pursue things, whether it is in the trade market. And if some pitching's moved around in the trade market this winter time, and maybe some of that pitching has money attached to us, we can be players on that. Or if the, you know, if the, the projected free agents actually ultimately do end up 
uh, reaching free agency, it'll allow us to play on those uh, on those names. Whereas if we would have chased down and 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 did force the shot, we would probably have to have to be a little bit more cautious this winter time with anything that we pursue. So that was the mindset um, behind the pivot last season to uh, to then pursue some one year deals so that it would allow us to to remain opportunistic and it would give young players Griffin Canning, Patrick Sandoval, Jose Suarez, Luis Rangifo, David Fletcher, Joe Adele, Brandon Marsh. Um, it would allow that group another year of development underneath their belt um, for us to, to, you know, potentially do something with a little bit more, um, um, you know, do something a little bit more aggressive this wintertime. Finishing up with Billy Epler, I got one more for you, Billy, and it's, it's about your manager and coaching staff, but maybe broader about just the way those things are put together these days. I mean, I've heard it say that the, the most important job of a manager now really has nothing to do with calling for the hit and run. It's about answering the question of why bother on a lot of this stuff. And it's you know sometimes no longer about having the best information. It's about having the best coaches that can describe it and explain it and sell it, right? I mean, their, their job isn't to remind the players of a bygone era. It's to prepare them for the era that's coming. And, and if all that's true, I love your coaching staff. I, I like your manager in that regard very much. Where are you on, on that dynamic? Yeah, I mean that that's been something that uh you know we've uh you know we we've continued to to reinforce throughout the year and I think a lot of that stems just from you know how much you communicate and how much you walk through things with your entire coaching staff and so you know every single home stand you know we'll have our entire front office our entire coaching staff even our performance staff so uh, when I say performance staff strength coaches physical therapists, anybody that works, anybody that puts their hands on the players, right? Um, we'll have that entire group together for, you know, what we've seen, what's coming up in the future, um, and and just the overall direction and how we want to handle handle our players. Um, and then we'll have a little bit more of an intimate, um, you know, meeting with our with our on field coaches about, you know, in game decision making and things that could come up. And and I think as you just walk through a lot of different scenarios which, you know, there's a ton of permutations that can happen throughout a, throughout a baseball game. But as you talk through a lot of different things, I think that's when, you know, the education process or the challenging questions and all those things can be brought up, um, whether it's whether it's the coaching staff saying, you know, I just don't think that that can work or whether it's, you know, part of your front office saying, you know, maybe maybe we should approach the third time through the order a little bit differently if the score is within a, a certain margin and so on and so forth. And you kind of just you, you just take that time to kind of walk through everything and and it, it's unique in baseball because you know having grown up or, uh, around the NFL you know the game plan you know their game planning yesterday was Sunday they're game planning today and they'll game plan all the way through next you know next Saturday for one game and in baseball it's a game every single day and so that can become a little tiresome if you're going to sit there and talk through every single game before it before it comes in because you're also thinking about hey these hitters need to get work get early work or these infielders need to get work or these catchers or these pitchers so on and so forth so you know you want to be um, you want to be efficient with your time um, but but you do ultimately need a coaching staff um, and a front office in general, that is all adaptable and everybody can kind of communicate and everybody can be vulnerable with each other. And and that's one of the things that we've seen this year and one of the things that we're appreciative of. Billy, while, while the season has ultimately been disappointing in terms of wins and losses, uh, your team uh, remains one of the most fascinating, interesting ones. And uh, a lot of that has to do with the fact you have two dynamic players uh, in their prime. Uh, Mike Trout, you guys did a great job to lock him up and make him an angel forever and also Shohei Otani. And I want to ask you about Otani right now. He's a, he's a hitter as of today and coming off the Tommy John. And I, that's certainly the way it had to be. But uh, going forward, do you look at him as a starting pitcher and a DH? Could he be a first baseman? Could he be a reliever? Uh, does it depend on how he bounces back? Uh, how do you look at the entire situation with Shohei Otani? Well, you know, I, I think with Shohei, you know, still a very young, young player, you know, he's 24 years old. And, and, and I think you want to be very mindful of, you know, the variables that you throw at, at you know, at a young player. And, you know, he's clearly coming off of, uh, you know, is going to be coming off of a, of a 
very invasive procedure in, 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 in Tommy John surgery. And so, you know, you want to keep things as consistent as possible and as familiar as possible. And so, you know, that would lend us to, to keeping him in the rotation um, and, you know, keeping him on a once a week uh, program like he was accustomed to in Japan and like we did, you know, in the first half of, uh, of last season. And then that would also lend itself to, you know, a few days a week as a designated hitter. So if he is a DH for four days a week, um, I think that's a reasonable expectation. And then after that DH, um, you know, after that, that DH period is over, then you'll have the day off and then you'll have his start and then you'll have another day off and then he'll be back to DH. And I think that's how you kind of manage his workload. So, you know, ultimately a full season of, of Shohei Otani would be, you know, approximately 24 to 25 starts um, if he's once a week. And then that's also, you know, going to, going to lend itself to probably 340 to 360 plate appearances. And I think that's how you maximize, you know, the output of Shohei without changing um, and introducing a new variable, especially when you're coming off of a surgery to say, Hey, you're going to play the outfield or you're going to play first base or, or here now, now you're going to relieve. I just think, I think all of those things, um, are, are just, um, other obstacles and other variables that could just compromise, uh, you know, this young player's health. Billy Epler, always great catching up with you, my friend. I know it's been a, a trying season in many ways, but uh, you deserve very high marks for how you and your whole staff have, have handled everything. Continued success to you. We'll talk again. Thank you, my friend. Thanks. Appreciate that, guys. Have a good day. Very cool. Billy Epler and of uh, Thad Levine as well of the Minnesota Twins to join us today. We've got John Heyman's parting thoughts uh, going inside and getting all the good rumors cooking with John straight up here. This is Big Time Baseball, Radio.com Sports. So before we dive in here and get to John in just a sec here, uh, you know, hiring can be a slow process. And Cafe Altura's COO, Dylan Miskowitz, needed to hire a director of coffee. So he went to ZipRecruiter, posted his job, found the best person for the role in just a few days. How? ZipRecruiter's technology finds people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. It's no wonder that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, try ZipRecruiter for free at the web address ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So as we get towards the end of not only this podcast, but of the regular season, uh, it, I thought it would be timely to get John's take once again on the situation in Boston. That's kind of the big news at the start of the week that Dave Dombrowski is out. And, and maybe it's not all that complicated if you really break it down, John. I mean, if the Red Sox are looking to reconfigure some things and uh, you know if they're looking to replenish a farm system, if they're really going to have to uh, grow old or not grow old with Mookie Betts, uh, you know, whoever's going to be there, say, in five years should probably be the guy doing the contract now. So if that's not going to be Dave Dombrowski, why not go ahead and, and turn him loose? But here we are just a little past Labor Day. The Red Sox are not officially out of the playoff chase for 2019, although it's very close. So we've agreed the timing is a little strange, but uh, where do they go from here? What, what really do you think is going to happen next for the Red Sox? Yeah, I, I think it's not that complicated. I think you certainly have a big part of the story. They want to have someone they feel is going to be the guy going forward to build the farm system and have an overall plan for the future. And uh, they ultimately decided that he was not the guy. Now, uh, part of the reason I believe that that made, decision was made has to do with relationships that were not built. I think Dave Dombrowski is a very professional fellow and a very nice fellow, but you know, he's all work. And, you know, part of working in an environment uh, in a company is to form relationships with everybody at that company, if you can. And, uh, you know, I think he works around the clock and he doesn't necessarily work at those relationships, uh, building them. And I, I do think that Sam Kennedy, who's the team president there for business operations, uh, is a very big part of that company going forward. And he and Dave, frankly, have not been close from what you hear. I'm not inside the organization, but uh, that's just one example. I've talked to somebody, people with the Red Sox uh, today, uh, this being uh, Monday as we record this, and they said that uh, Dave, in terms of personality and relations, was just not a match uh, for the organization. So I, I do think that that was 
uh, part of it. Now, of course, Dave Dombrowski's strength is to go get a team that's going to win at the major league level right now, and he did do that. And it's what's very odd is that he's now let go less than a year after what was historically excellent season, and he did a terrific job in that sense, doing what he does best. And he's a Hall of Fame general manager, as the uh, press release said, but uh, I do think it's a combination of the factor that what you said and also the relationships that were not built, not just with Kennedy, but with, with, with many others. And, and as far as where they go from here, that's going to be fascinating. Right now, they have four people filling that role. It's possible one of the four is chosen. You hear good things about a Romero and O'Halloran and some of the other people there, but uh, they, they've often been a team that goes out and finds someone with a, a big name as they did with Dave Dombrowski. He had the long-term relationship with John Henry from uh, Marlins days. And uh, the speculation, and I don't know if there's anything to this at this point, I checked with somebody with Arizona. They certainly didn't hear it. But I think Mike Hazen is the most logical guy. He's doing a terrific job uh, in Arizona. is focused on building an entire organization, the minor leagues as well, and the prospects. And... Uh, you know, he's sort of in a rebuild potentially now, but they're right in the middle of the race. So you can't do much better than Mike Hazen has done this year. And he was the general manager, at least in name, uh, with Boston as Dave Dombrowski uh, promoted him to that role. Of course, he was really the assistant GM as Dave is the GM and the president or was was those uh, handling those jobs. But I think Hazen is the guy that the speculation will settle on. As far as Arizona goes, they say he's under contract. They certainly do not want to let him go. And uh, it would be interesting to see if Boston did pursue him and offer him the president role as Dave had uh, and whether that would make a difference or not uh, in procuring him. The other great rumor, and this is all rumor, I have not heard this from anybody with the Cubs or the Red Sox or anything, but it's a rumor that's been out there since spring training that Boston could possibly think about bringing Theo Epstein back. I don't even see that in the Boston speculation right now. But, uh, you know, that certainly would be an enormous movie. One, uh, two World Series for them and one for the Cubs. And, uh, you know, obviously the Cubs are still in the thick of the race right now. But uh, that would, those would be probably the two most interesting names that I've heard out there. Boy, that, that last one would break the Internet. I mean, and, <laughs> and, and, well, and, it's know, rumor. It's rumor. But, you know, we're on a podcast now and we can talk rumors. I, you know, I'm not going well, to. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say this, John, steep not in rumor, but in fact. And, you know, having been around the Red Sox this year, uh, you won't find a more pleasant guy than Dave Dombrowski. You won't find a more committed guy than Dave Dombrowski. I mean, it's a guy that not only was at every game, home and road, but he literally kept score. I mean, like if a game went 15 innings, he kept every single pitch. He watched. He did not miss a pitch for 15 innings. And so it's not like this guy, you know, as well, you know, I, I've got my money. I've, I've played this out. Uh, to the contrary. I mean, this guy, very devoted and, uh, you know, I just think a, a wonderful mind. But I totally understand what you're talking about. That Look, sometimes it's just not a fit anymore. I, you know, I, I've lived that one in the broadcast world. I had a great run with the Texas Rangers. And then uh, there was an ownership change or just a change in how do we want the broadcast to sound. And there was an honest conversation about, you know what, my skill set, I don't know if that's what I really do. I mean, you know, let's just shake hands and walk away because it's just not the fit that it was when I first got here. And I think it's that mature uh, from what I gather. I don't think there was anybody throwing a hissy fit. I don't think it's that, you know, this guy was mean to that guy. I think it, it just was very simply not a great fit anymore. And whatever they do next, I think that's the big key is to get that, that good fit for, say, 2020 to 2025. Uh, real quick, I do want to ask you about Garrett Cole, just to kind of switch tracks, because you talk about an attractive free agent on the market as he's piling up 13, 14, 15 strikeout games. And if he actually adds a, a World Series ring to his hand, I guess that makes him even more attractive to a suitor. Where's Garrett Cole going to be next year? That's an excellent question. He's a top uh, free agent pitcher out there. Obviously, Madison Bumgarner, a really big name, who's already won three World Series rings and uh, should be given immense credit for that and certainly will get a big deal as well. But Garrett Cole is the number one guy out there based on the performance that he's had this year, which has been absolutely incredible. You referenced uh, the last three starts, at least 14 strikeouts in each of them. I, I can't remember the last game he lost. It's been... 
15, 16, 17, maybe more games. Uh, he hasn't lost any games. Uh, obviously, it helps that he's on a, on a great team with the Astros, but uh, he or his teammate, Justin Furlander, will win the Cy Young, and uh, Cole will have an immense amount of attention on him uh, as one of the two premier free agents, the other being Anthony Rendon, uh, this year, uh, barring any last-minute signing, which I don't think we're going to see. But you never know. The Nats did make a last-minute uh, try for Bryce Harper that didn't work out. And uh, who knows what they do with Rendon. As far as Garrett Cole goes, uh, you know, I think the Yankees are probably the favorite. They obviously need starting pitching. That's been a question all year. They've still been good without him. They made two attempts to get him. One, they drafted him uh, in the draft in the first round. Uh, so they were hopeful they were going to be able to sign him. I don't know if they offered him a blank check, but they offered him a lot. And uh, Garrett Cole, not from a poor family, was able to say, you know what? I want my education. I want to go to UCLA. And I want to do what my father wants me to do, which was go to UCLA. And then he came out three years later and was the number one pick of the Pirates. The Yankees had a chance then to trade for him. They didn't want to give up Andujar. They didn't want to give up uh, Frazier. And ultimately, he was sent to Houston instead, where he's become an absolute star. And uh, I do think the Yankees love him. They've loved him forever, and they will make a big attempt to get him. Doesn't mean they always get what they want. They didn't get uh, Cliff Lee when we all thought they were going to get him. Uh, the Angels' hometown team, he is uh, Garrett Cole in from Orange County, uh, I think will be a player. We shall see. They've not had great luck with their big signings in the past. I uh, haven't done one recently, but Wilson certainly didn't pan out as far as the dollars go. Hamilton was a disaster. Uh, Pujols, I think that was done for TV, and so that worked from that standpoint, but uh, he is not a $30 million a year player at this point, so uh, you could debate whether that's worked out. I, I, the Texas Rangers are moving into a new park. Uh, they, like the Angels, would like to steal a big star from their biggest competitor, the Astros. So I think they're a possibility. Houston could go back and get him. I know ownership uh, Crane has said that uh, it's unlikely now that they've got Granke and Verlander that they could fit Cole in there under the cap or the threshold, uh, but I would not rule them out. It's obviously worked out fantastically. Uh, the Giants are a team. I think they might be ready to move and do something. Uh, his brother-in-law happens to be Brandon Crawford. Whether that plays into it, I'm not so sure, but uh, you never know. And you know what? The Padres, they surprised us the last two win winters. I wouldn't be surprised if they surprised us again, but that's my half dozen or so teams that I think could go for the top free agent pitcher. Last one for you, John, as we talk about the arch nemesis of Garrett Cole, Trevor Bauer, having landed in Cincinnati. <laughs> I I'm really intrigued by the Reds because it's not just Aquino who's been stealing the spotlight with all these home runs since coming up. Nobody's talking about Eugenio Suarez. I mean, as you and I are recording this, he's got 44 home runs now. He's got 10 in his last 13 games. They've got a fascinating player in Michael Lorenzen. I, I mean, very quietly, just as Marty Brenneman is leaving, this is one of the most interesting teams in Major League Baseball. So I, I'm just curious about what you see the Reds maybe doing in the offseason. It absolutely is. And, uh, you know, if they had a different ownership or general manager, they might have uh, gone the rebuild, the deep rebuild or tanking route going into this year. But they went for it. And I admire that. And I applaud their ownership. Uh, for going out and trying to win this year. It seemed to be unlikely. They had moments, certainly early. Uh, their run differential uh, showed that they could be a better team than they've actually uh, been in terms of wins and losses. And they've had some very exciting stuff happen for them be, be, uh, beyond the trade for Bauer, who they have for last year. So I applaud them for going for it, for doing interesting things. Lorenzen putting him in the outfield uh, the day after the home run and the winning pitcher uh, and, and playing the field and the first guy to do all those three things uh, since Babe Ruth. Uh, I thought that was great. And Suarez, who they picked up for Alfredo Simon, I believe, uh, in a trade from Detroit, uh, great, uh, great player, and they signed him to a long deal. And I thought it was interesting that he says that he's almost up there with the big boys now. Well, you know what? You are, uh, you, hey, you, you have 44 home runs. Alonzo has 45, Trout 45, and you're right there. So 
Uh, incredible year for Eugenio Suarez and very interesting year for the Reds. I am right with you on that one, Josh. All right. First time we've ever ended the podcast by talking about Eugenio Suarez, but that's where we're closing out. <laughs> he John. deserves it. He deserves it. Yeah, no, it. I know. And the Reds are interesting. They are. And by the way, happy trails to Marty Brenneman if we don't get a chance to say that again. But sure. anyway, John, we'll talk to you again in a week. Thank you so much. Thanks to our, our two guests today, a couple of big league GMs. That's why we call it big time baseball. We get you good guests here. Presented by Radio.com Sports. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast by searching Big Time Baseball. You can find us on Twitter, too, at RDC Sports. Until next time, for John Heyman, this is Josh Lewis. Bye-bye. This has been a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.